So Jesus, we want to see you get that prize, and so we ask that you would teach us how to join in your battle, in your way, and pray that the words we just read would help us be more like you. In your name, amen. I just want to say, as you know, I was away on a two-and-a-half-month study leave this summer. This is something that is required here of our senior leaders in this church to get away every five years for a time of study and reflection, and I did all of that stuff as well as a little bit of rest, and it was awesome. Uh, I do want to say I missed you. I missed you very badly and was very anxious to get back and see all of you and be part of the life of this church. That's honest. I really did miss you guys. You can even ask my wife. I said that. Um, I also want to thank the staff who, in my absence, did a great job, and everything just went fantastic. Everything, almost as though I'm not needed. It was fantastic. (laughs) So thank you. It's good to be back with you. Last spring, before I went on study leave, I told a story about a woman who, because of the affluence in her neighborhood, said that she felt like a loser whenever she sees her neighbors driving Lexuses or Lexi or whatever it would be while she's driving a Volvo. That provoked a response. Some of you booed. You actually booed. It was scarring. I had to go away for the whole summer to recover. Well, for those of you who booed, you'll be happy to know that right after church on that very day, a couple went out into the parking lot, got into their Lexus, and it wouldn't start. (laughs) Until some friends came over and gave them a jump from their Volvo. (laughs) Some guys from Auto Angels said to the Lexus couple, that's what happens when you go for second best. So... And as it turns out, their Lexus has died four other times, always in the church parking lot. No clue what that means. This fall, we are starting a new sermon series called Optimum Performance. And it's about how can we become people who, like a finely tuned race car, or maybe a Volvo, can just sail through life in peak operating condition, filled with enthusiasm, excitement, joy, meaning, purpose. Optimum condition. How do we get there? And to do that, we are going to study the Ten Commandments. Now, right there, I might just have lost some of you, right? Some of you might be going, oh, awesome. I was hoping he'd come back from study leave and talk about the Ten Commandments because I've been murdering a lot lately, and I could really use some help. (laughs) How long is this going to last? Ten weeks? See you at Thanksgiving. (laughs) I think that misses the heart of the Ten Commandments. They are not, as my Latin teacher in college used to call them, the Ten Prohibitions, things you can't do because God doesn't want you to have fun. That's not what they're about. I want you to look at how God begins these commandments. Does he go straight to the list of rules? No, he has a preamble. And he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember the people were slaves in Egypt until God through Moses delivered them. And it is very significant that this is how the commandments start. God is saying, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Slavery. I am the God who has set you free, and I want you to stay free, having gone to the trouble of freeing you. And so here are ten ways that you can stay free. Ten ways that you can thrive at optimum performance, peak operating condition. You see, these are not the ten commandments. They are the ten freedoms. They are premised on the God who sets the captives free. 
In my studies this summer, I came across a phrase that I thought was really kind of catchy. You will too. Moralistic therapeutic deism. <laughs> catchy, isn't it? It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Some scholars at University of North Carolina came up with that phrase after doing research on thousands of Americans about their religious beliefs. And they concluded that no matter what people said they actually believed, this was the real religion in America. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. What the heck does that mean? Let me start at the end. Deism. The belief that there's a God, but he pretty much leaves us alone to do whatever we want to do, uninvolved. Moralistic. A vague sense that God wants us to behave better or at least wants other people to behave better because I'm a good person in and at least I'm not Hitler sort of a way. And then therapeutic, and this is the main one. That God's main purpose, God's top line on his job description is to make me happy and to make me feel good about me. That's why God exists. The researchers concluded that this view of God was why so many young people find religion boring. And with good reason. What a wimpy God. Sort of this cosmic Mr. Rogers with a cardigan. <laughs> no offense to cardigans. Or Mr. Rogers, I suppose. Who lets us do whatever we want to do, no matter how much it hurts us, no matter how much damage it does. Oh, go ahead, that's okay. But occasionally gives us a couple of platitudes about being neighborly and makes us feel good about ourselves. That's the God most of us, including those of us who call ourselves Christians, believe in, including those of us who call ourselves preachers. I think I've preached this God a couple of times and I feel bad about it. Now, if what you want is for your God to have a certain sort of, huh, I think that God accomplishes that quite well. But that is not the God in the Bible who is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And what the Ten Commandments show us is that he is strong, not weak, and that he delivered the Israelites from slavery with a strong and mighty hand. And then he says, now do these things so that you can remain free and thrive. And what was true for the Israelites is true for us. This summer, my wife and I went to Italy for 12 days by ourselves without our children. Can somebody say amen? We missed our kids, but it was also great to be together as a couple, and our children were with loving babysitters that they truly enjoyed. We started with two days in Paris, which is not in Italy, and just in case you... <laughs> and one night we went to the Galleries Lafayette, which is this famous store in Paris, and it was near closing time, so Christina went to the checkout stand while I went to the bathroom. Well, as soon as I was in there, I heard a key lock the lock from the outside. I was locked in. Then I heard the announcement that the store was closed and this rush of footsteps, which Christina later told me were all the employees leaving. As soon as the store closes, they just leave. That's it. Gone. No sweeping up. Nothing. So I, I pounded on the door, pounded on the door, help, help, for like five minutes. <laughs> Finally, someone said something to me from the other side of the door in French. And then I asked, but he didn't speak English, of course, right? Now, I took French in college, but I've also taken Spanish, Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, and they just all blur together. <laughs> so that when I try to speak one, bits of the other comes out, right? So, but I did my best, right? Je suis trappé en Albano. No, that's not right. <laughs> Yo soy trapado dans la salle du bain. No, 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 no. Shalom. No, that's not going to work either, right? 
And then the guy left. Just left. So then I get a text from Christina that said, where are you? I texted back, trapped in the bathroom. She texted back, store closed, employees gone, phone battery dying, I'll see you at the hotel. And I said, zut alors. <laughs> now, what she meant was, I'll get you help at the hotel. But I didn't know that, right? I'm thinking, it's Saturday night, stores close on Sunday. I'm here for the weekend, right? <laughs> What'd you do in Paris? I saw a great bathroom. <laughs> so I pounded on the door for like 10 more minutes. Finally, a custodian came along and let me out. And then he gave me this really dirty look that said, you stupid American. And I'm thinking, look, you locked me in here, right? I didn't, you did it. And we helped you win the war, and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> well, that's like the Ten Commandments. Como, you may ask? If in that moment I had stepped back into that bathroom and gotten locked in again, that would have been stupid. Oui? <laughs> I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. Don't go back to bondage. Here are ten ways to stay free. And God wants us to be free in two ways that I want to touch on today briefly. The first, God frees us to have joyful lives in close communion with him. God says, you have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, I want you to notice what comes first and what comes second in these verses. It's very important. Is it you need to obey me so that I love you and then I'll free you? Oh, it's the other way around, isn't it? I love you. I have freed you. Now, do these things so that you can stay free. Every other religion reverses that. Every other religion. If I do right, then I will be accepted. Not just religion, our whole culture. Work, achieve, perform, then you'll be loved. Jesus reverses that. God says, I love you and I've accepted you unconditionally. Now, do these things so that you can stay free. My former church just hired an admiral in the Navy as part of their staff. So imagine the transition for this guy, right? To go from military to a church. Imagine the transition for the church. Right? And someone joked with him. He, he, he ended up being late to one of his first meetings. And someone joked with him, what do they say in the Navy when an admiral walks in late to a meeting? And he said, they say, good morning, admiral, sir. <laughs> That's the military. That's not what God's saying here. When God says, if you obey my commands, you'll be a holy nation, that is not a demand. It's a promise. And it's also not some passive-aggressive move on God's part. You know, well, I freed you, so now you owe me. Right? As if he's this kind of giant cosmic guilt-tripping mother, right? Ten hours I was in labor with you, and this is the thanks I get, right? No, that's not what's going on here. God is saying, I want you to stay free. And if you don't use sex, money, and power in exploitive and addictive ways... If you will focus on me primarily, if you'll treat your neighbor as I tell you to do, then you will be free from the addictions and chains of your culture. 
Your marriages will flourish. Your friendships will thrive. There'll be no violence among you. Your children will prosper. You'll have adventure and excitement. It's not a demand. It's a promise. Do these things and you will have a joyful life. And we will have close communion with him. The language in these verses is very personal. He talks about caring for Israel as a mother eagle cares for her young. And he says, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And the Hebrew word there, the Hebrew refers to a king's personal treasure. You know, king owns the whole country, but he also has his private personal treasure. The things that are maybe family heirlooms. We are God's personal treasure. I actually like the way that the King James translate these verses. It says, you will be my peculiar treasures. I just love that, peculiar treasure. It explains a lot, right? Because some of you are pretty peculiar. <laughs> and so am I. We are filled with dysfunctions and brokenness and sins and mistakes, but God says, I love you anyway. You know, you're weird, but you're mine. And I treasure you. And I want you to thrive. So here are ten ways to have a joyful life in closeness with me. Second thing that God wants to free us for, not just from, but for, he frees us to be co-liberators with him. In this passage, God goes on to say, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let me take both of those separately. The word holy in Hebrew means utterly different, utterly distinct, completely different. In other words, we will be a people, a community, organized around a whole different set of principles than what human cultures organize around. And then God says you will be a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? A priest puts God on display. A priest shows God to the world. In other words, the Ten Commandments are meant to mold us into a group of people who put God on display, who show his heart to the world by being different, by being distinct. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments, Jesus puts it this way, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Because you see, when you come into a city already accepted, which is how we come into God's city, rather than having to prove yourself the way you do in a human city, then the way you handle sex, money, power, relationships will all be utterly different. They'll be used in non-addictive, non-destructive, positive ways. Do you know that the Israelites were the first culture in human history where adultery was a sin not just for a woman, but for a man too? Do you know why? Because they valued women. And they said, you cannot use them, men, as objects of your lust. That demeans them. This is also the first culture where women could inherit property just like men could. The first culture in human history to systematically care for their poor. They were different. And when we follow God's laws here, and folks look inside the church and see people getting along in ways that other people in the world don't get along, see marriages prospering in ways they don't prosper in the world, see folks who give their money away to help others, then we put God on display. And we set people free, not only because we help them out of poverty or addiction or loneliness, but also because we introduce them to the God who loves them. You see, the whole Bible is about a God who is on a mission. On a mission to rescue this world from the damage that the devil has done. He started when he chose Abraham to create a nation to show the world who God was. Then he acted powerfully when that nation ended up slaves in Egypt to deliver them to the promised land. He spoke through the prophets to the people. And finally he came himself in the person of Jesus to conquer even death by rising from the grave. And when Jesus left, he left his Holy Spirit to empower those of us, his followers, 
to rescue others in his name. That is not moralistic, therapeutic deism. This is a God who is very involved, who is passionate, who cares, and who wants far more for us than just turning us into nice people and, and, and helping us feel better all the time. This is the God who is out to rescue us and use us to rescue the world. If you want a label for it, it's called kingdom theology. God rescued Israel and God rescues us not to form a rescued club, not to go around saying, I'm rescued, you're rescued, here's the secret rescued handshake. Right? And God is certainly, you know, he tells us to be his message to the world, not just tell the message, but be the message. Because you see, every three minutes in America, a child learns that his parents are going to get a divorce. And there are three billion people on the planet who live on less than $2 a day. And every four hours, a child in America kills himself. And the question is, God, where are you? And in the Ten Commandments, God says, we are the answer to that question. You see, God's not looking for a group of people who obsess about getting every fine point of doctrine just right. Or who have a certain way that they do worship and no other way to do worship. And he's certainly not looking for people who can boycott just the right thing at just the right time to show the world what we're against because that's so compelling. God is looking for a kingdom of priests who will be his message of freedom to the world. Today, as you came in, you probably noticed our annual mission fair. And each booth out there represents just one of the ways that as a church, we are participating with God in setting folks free from poverty, lack of education, loneliness, on and on, both here and around the world. And doing it in Jesus' name so that they can know the God who loved them enough to die for them. Last spring, you'll remember many of you volunteered to be part of Deeper Impact, which is our campaign to walk alongside folks in need or be part of a resource team or an ambassador for Christ. And over the summer, many of you were in training programs to learn how to do that. You know what? If you still want to be part of that, there are Deeper Impact booths. Some of those are Deeper Impact booths out there. And to me, all of this is exciting that we get to be part of being part of God's rescue plan to this world. You've heard me say this before. Here is a verse you will never hear in the Bible. And behold, it came to pass that God's people were bored. I'm not going to find it. Because we've been called to be co-liberators with Christ. Talked with a man a few months ago who's a successful businessman. But he was very bored. The only point in life, as far as, as, far as he could figure, was making more money to buy more things. But every time he bought something, he got bored with it. Go figure. Then Jesus began to nudge him to get free from, the, from that bondage that he was under by helping some other people. So he decided to sponsor a child through Compassion International, a Christian organization that helps children in poverty. And part of sponsoring a child is not just sending money for food, clothing, and education, that too, but also writing letters to the child because Jesus works relationally. So he began to write letters to his sponsored child, and this little girl just got deep in his heart. Turned out she had a tumor on her face, and because of that, her parents felt that she was a burden, and they said that she was a curse that the devil had put on their family. And they even called her that, the curse. So in addition to sponsoring her, he paid to have surgery to have that tumor removed, and then continued to write her, and as the years went on, he'd occasionally promise to visit her. Well, when this little girl was 12, he finally went to Kenya to visit her, where she lived. And one of the things he did was, along with a chaperone from, from, from Compassion International, he took this little girl to an amusement park in Nairobi. And where this little girl got to ride on a, on a boat for the first time, a roller coaster for the first time, got to go on horseback, eat cotton candy, have a dinner in a restaurant, all for the first time. Stuff she didn't even know existed before that day. And at the end of the day, this man asked her what her favorite part of that day was, and he recounted everything that they'd done. 
And she said, oh, that's easy. And then she pointed to a moment he hadn't even noticed. She said, it was when you took my hand and you, we walked together toward one of the rides. And all my prayers that you would come and visit were answered. This little girl, who had been shamed by her own father, had never been treated by anyone as a daughter, had found a moment of freedom from all that shame and felt loved. And you know what? Unlike a lot of kids in the States, it was that, not the fancy rides or the toys. That's what mattered to her the most. And you see, that was God's original design for that little girl, that she could prosper, that she would be loved, that she would be treasured. And that was God's intention, but the devil and poverty and the brokenness of her parents robbed all of that from her. But Jesus, working through this man, gave it all back, restored her to her original design. And now that little girl has grown up, she's graduated, and she's going to college. She's been set free. But so was that man. Because when that girl said that to him, he got all choked up. He said he felt the Holy Spirit in a way he's never felt the Holy Spirit before. And felt like God was saying to him, this is what you were designed to do. This is what you were made for. So from there he went home and he said to his wife, we're going to sponsor dozens of kids. 30, 40, 50 kids, we're going to sponsor them all. Don't know how she felt about that, but that's how they did. But that's what they did. And now life is not boring for him. Because he is part of God's rescue mission. And he says that seeing the kids... Their lives transformed, way bigger thrill than the biggest deal he ever closed, the most exotic vacation he ever took, the fanciest sports car he ever bought, all rolled up into one. In fact, he sometimes introduces himself by saying, hello, my name is Mark, and I help, set, I help Jesus set kids free. That's how he introduces himself. He has been rescued from obsession with money and the pressure to impress and achieve and all the stress that goes with that. He is free because he obeyed. Obedience brings freedom. So where do you need to be set free? Will you commit to coming these next 10 weeks to church and learning how to stay in God's freedom, but not just coming, doing the things that God nudges you to do as you're sitting there in church and you hear him speaking? Then second, where does God want to use you to set others free? You know what? If you're not already involved in God's rescue mission, and many, many, many of you are, will you please take some time before you go to your car? I mean, your Lexus isn't going to start anyway, so, you know, go, go out there and... Wander around those booths, and as you wander around those booths, just ask God, hey, do you want me to be part of any of this? If you do, would you nudge me? Now, some people might say, you know what, I can't be a co-rescuer co with God. I'm too screwed up. No, 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 no. You see, that's the beauty of the message. This kingdom of priests that God is forming is made up of folks who are rescued from slavery. Whether that's actual slavery or poverty or addictions or past mistakes, your mess your mess and the ways that God is freeing you from it, that is the beauty of the message that will compel others to Jesus. This kingdom of priests are folks who can say with the psalmist, I'm a mess, but God has heard my cry, and ever so gradually, I am leaving Egypt. The medium is the message. You, his peculiar, weird little treasure, and all the ways he is delivering you, not past tense, but present, ongoing, indicative tense, you are the message. The devil is all about bondage, but the God revealed in Jesus is the God who sets the captives free. And he will not stop and he will not rest until the whole world is restored to him. And that includes you and that includes me. It is great to be back with you. I missed you. I love you guys. And I'm looking forward to how Jesus is going to set all of us free this fall. So Jesus, bring it on. That is what we ask, that you would bring your freedom to us and through us 
to this world that you love so much you died for it. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
So Jesus, we want to see you get that prize, and so we ask that you would teach us how to join in your battle, in your way, and pray that the words we just read would help us be more like you. In your name, amen. I just want to say, as you know, I was away on a two-and-a-half-month study leave this summer. This is something that is required here of our senior leaders in this church to get away every five years for a time of study and reflection, and I did all of that stuff as well as a little bit of rest, and it was awesome. Uh, I do want to say I missed you. I missed you very badly and was very anxious to get back and see all of you and be part of the life of this church. That's honest. I really did miss you guys. You can even ask my wife. I said that. Um, I also want to thank the staff who, in my absence, did a great job, and everything just went fantastic. Everything, almost as though I'm not needed. It was fantastic. (laughs) So thank you. It's good to be back with you. Last spring, before I went on study leave, I told a story about a woman who, because of the affluence in her neighborhood, said that she felt like a loser whenever she sees her neighbors driving Lexuses or Lexi or whatever it would be while she's driving a Volvo. That provoked a response. Some of you booed. You actually booed. It was scarring. I had to go away for the whole summer to recover. Well, for those of you who booed, you'll be happy to know that right after church on that very day, a couple went out into the parking lot, got into their Lexus, and it wouldn't start. (laughs) Until some friends came over and gave them a jump from their Volvo. (laughs) Some guys from Auto Angels said to the Lexus couple, that's what happens when you go for second best. And as it turns out, their Lexus has died four other times, always in the church parking lot. No clue what that means. This fall, we are starting a new sermon series called Optimum Performance. And it's about how can we become people who, like a finely tuned race car, or maybe a Volvo, can just sail through life in peak operating condition, filled with enthusiasm, excitement, joy, meaning, purpose. Optimum condition. How do we get there? And to do that, we are going to study the Ten Commandments. Now, right there, I might just have lost some of you, right? Some of you might be going, oh, awesome. I was hoping he'd come back from study leave and talk about the Ten Commandments because I've been murdering a lot lately, and I could really use some help. (laughs) How long is this going to last? Ten weeks? See you at Thanksgiving. (laughs) I think that misses the heart of the Ten Commandments. They are not, as my Latin teacher in college used to call them, the Ten Prohibitions, things you can't do because God doesn't want you to have fun. That's not what they're about. I want you to look at how God begins these commandments. Does he go straight to the list of rules? No, he has a preamble. And he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember, the people were slaves in Egypt until God through Moses delivered them. And it is very significant that this is how the commandments start. God is saying, I am the God who brought you out of Slavery. I am the God who has set you free. And I want you to stay free, having gone to the trouble of freeing you. And so here are ten ways that you can stay free. Ten ways that you can thrive at optimum performance, peak operating condition. You see, these are not the ten commandments. They are the ten freedoms. They are premised on the God who sets the captives free. 
In my studies this summer, I came across a phrase that I thought was really kind of catchy. You will too. Moralistic therapeutic deism. <laughs> catchy, isn't it? It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Some scholars at University of North Carolina came up with that phrase after doing research on thousands of Americans about their religious beliefs. And they concluded that no matter what people said they actually believed, this was the real religion in America. Moralistic therapeutic deism. What the heck does that mean? Let me start at the end. Deism. The belief that there's a God, but he pretty much leaves us alone to do whatever we want to do, uninvolved. Moralistic. A vague sense that God wants us to behave better or at least wants other people to behave better because I'm a good person in and at least I'm not Hitler sort of a way. And then therapeutic, and this is the main one. That God's main purpose, God's top line on his job description is to make me happy and to make me feel good about me. That's why God exists. The researchers concluded that this view of God was why so many young people find religion boring. And with good reason. What a wimpy God. Sort of this cosmic Mr. Rogers with the cardigan. <laughs> no offense to cardigans. Or Mr. Rogers, I suppose. Who lets us do whatever we want to do, no matter how much it hurts us, no matter how much damage it does. Oh, go ahead, that's okay. But occasionally gives us a couple of platitudes about being neighborly and makes us feel good about ourselves. That's the God most of us, including those of us who call ourselves Christians, believe in, including those of us who call ourselves preachers. I think I've preached this God a couple of times and I feel bad about it. Now, if what you want is for your God to have a certain sort of, huh, I think that God accomplishes that quite well. But that is not the God in the Bible who is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And what the Ten Commandments show us is that he is strong, not weak, and that he delivered the Israelites from slavery with a strong and mighty hand. And then he says, now do these things so that you can remain free and thrive. And what was true for the Israelites is true for us. This summer, my wife and I went to Italy for 12 days by ourselves without our children. Can somebody say amen? We missed our kids, but it was also great to be together as a couple, and our children were with loving babysitters that they truly enjoyed. We started with two days in Paris, which is not in Italy, and just in case you... <laughs> and one night we went to the Galleries Lafayette, which is this famous store in Paris, and it was near closing time, so Christina went to the checkout stand while I went to the bathroom. Well, as soon as I was in there, I heard a key lock the lock from the outside. I was locked in. Then I heard the announcement that the store was closed and this rush of footsteps, which Christina later told me were all the employees leaving. As soon as the store closes, they just leave. That's it. Gone. No sweeping up. Nothing. So I, I pounded on the door, pounded on the door, help, help, for like five minutes. <laughs> Finally, someone said something to me from the other side of the door in French. And then I asked, but he didn't speak English, of course, right? Now, I took French in college, but I've also taken Spanish, Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, and they just all blur together. <laughs> so that when I try to speak one, bits of the other comes out, right? So, but I did my best, right? Je suis trappé en Albano. No, that's not right. <laughs> Yo soy trapado dans la salle du bain. No, 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 no. L'chaim. Shalom. No, that's not going to work either, right? 
And then the guy left. Just left. So then I get a text from Christina that said, where are you? I texted back, trapped in the bathroom. She texted back, store closed, employees gone, phone battery dying, I'll see you at the hotel. And I said, zut, alors. <laughs> now, what she meant was, I'll get you help at the hotel. But I didn't know that, right? I'm thinking, it's Saturday night, stores close on Sunday. I'm here for the weekend, right? <laughs> What'd you do in Paris? I saw a great bathroom. <laughs> so I pounded on the door for like 10 more minutes. Finally, a custodian came along and let me out. And then he gave me this really dirty look that said, you stupid American. And I'm thinking, look, you locked me in here, right? I didn't, you did it. And we helped you win the war, and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> well, that's like the Ten Commandments. Como, you may ask? If in that moment I had stepped back into that bathroom and gotten locked in again, that would have been stupid. Oui? <laughs> I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. Don't go back to bondage. Here are ten ways to stay free. And God wants us to be free in two ways that I want to touch on today briefly. The first, God frees us to have joyful lives in close communion with him. God says, you have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, I want you to notice what comes first and what comes second in these verses. It's very important. Is it you need to obey me so that I love you and then I'll free you? Oh, it's the other way around, isn't it? I love you. I have freed you. Now, do these things so that you can stay free. Every other religion reverses that. Every other religion, if I do right, then I will be accepted. Not just religion, our whole culture, work, achieve, perform, then you'll be loved. Jesus reverses that. God says, I love you and I've accepted you unconditionally. Now do these things so that you can stay free. My former church just hired an admiral in the Navy as part of their staff. So imagine the transition for this guy, right? To go from military to a church. Imagine the transition for the church, right? And someone joked with him. He, he, he ended up being late to one of his first meetings. And someone joked with him, what do they say in the Navy when an admiral walks in late to a meeting? And he said, they say, good morning, admiral, sir. <laughs> That's the military. That's not what God's saying here. When God says, if you obey my commands, you'll be a holy nation, that is not a demand. It's a promise. And it's also not some passive-aggressive move on God's part. You know, well, I freed you, so now you owe me. Right? As if he's this kind of giant cosmic guilt-tripping mother, right? Ten hours I was in labor with you, and this is the thanks I get, right? No, that's not what's going on here. God is saying, I want you to stay free. And if you don't use sex, money, and power in exploitive and addictive ways... If you will focus on me primarily, if you'll treat your neighbor as I tell you to do, then you will be free from the addictions and chains of your culture. 
Your marriages will flourish. Your friendships will thrive. There'll be no violence among you. Your children will prosper. You'll have adventure and excitement. It's not a demand. It's a promise. Do these things and you will have a joyful life. And we will have close communion with him. The language in these verses is very personal. He talks about caring for Israel as a mother eagle cares for her young. And he says, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And the Hebrew word there, the Hebrew refers to a king's personal treasure. You know, a king owns the whole country, but he also has his private personal treasure. The things that are maybe family heirlooms. We are God's personal treasure. I actually like the way that the King James translates these verses. It says, you will be my peculiar treasures. I just love that, peculiar treasure. It explains a lot, right? Because some of you are pretty peculiar. And so am I. We are filled with dysfunctions and brokenness and sins and mistakes, but God says, I love you anyway. You know, you're weird, but you're mine. And I treasure you. And I want you to thrive. So here are ten ways to have a joyful life in closeness with me. Second thing that God wants to free us for, not just from, but for, he frees us to be co-liberators with him. In this passage, God goes on to say, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let me take both of those separately. The word holy in Hebrew means utterly different, utterly distinct, completely different. In other words, we will be a people, a community, organized around a whole different set of principles than what human cultures organize around. And then God says you will be a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? A priest puts God on display. A priest shows God to the world. In other words, the Ten Commandments are meant to mold us into a group of people who put God on display, who show his heart to the world by being different, by being distinct. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments, Jesus puts it this way, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Because you see, when you come into a city already accepted, which is how we come into God's city, rather than having to prove yourself the way you do in a human city, then the way you handle sex, money, power, relationships will all be utterly different. They'll be used in non-addictive, non-destructive, positive ways. Do you know that the Israelites were the first culture in human history where adultery was a sin not just for a woman, but for a man too? Do you know why? Because they valued women. And they said, you cannot use them, men, as objects of your lust. That demeans them. This is also the first culture where women could inherit property just like men could. The first culture in human history to systematically care for their poor. They were different. And when we follow God's laws here, and folks look inside the church and see people getting along in ways that other people in the world don't get along, see marriages prospering in ways they don't prosper in the world, see folks who give their money away to help others, then we put God on display. And we set people free, not only because we help them out of poverty or addiction or loneliness, but also because we introduce them to the God who loves them. You see, the whole Bible is about a God who is on a mission. On a mission to rescue this world from the damage that the devil has done. He started when he chose Abraham to create a nation to show the world who God was. Then he acted powerfully when that nation ended up slaves in Egypt to deliver them to the promised land. He spoke through the prophets to the people. And finally he came himself in the person of Jesus to conquer even death by rising from the grave. And when Jesus left, he left his Holy Spirit to empower those of us, his followers, 
to rescue others in his name. That is not moralistic, therapeutic deism. This is a God who is very involved, who is passionate, who cares, and who wants far more for us than just turning us into nice people and, and, and helping us feel better all the time. This is the God who is out to rescue us and use us to rescue the world. If you want a label for it, it's called kingdom theology. God rescued Israel and God rescues us not to form a rescued club, not to go around saying, I'm rescued, you're rescued, here's the secret rescued handshake. All right. And God is certainly, you know, he tells us to be his message to the world. Not just tell the message, but be the message. Because you see, every three minutes in America, a child learns that his parents are going to get a divorce. And there are three billion people on the planet who live on less than $2 a day. And every four hours, a child in America kills himself. And the question is, God, where are you? And in the Ten Commandments, God says, we are the answer to that question. You see, God's not looking for a group of people who obsess about getting every fine point of doctrine just right. Or who have a certain way that they do worship and no other way to do worship. And he's certainly not looking for people who can boycott just the right thing at just the right time to show the world what we're against because that's so compelling. God is looking for a kingdom of priests who will be his message of freedom to the world. Today, as you came in, you probably noticed our annual mission fair. And each booth out there represents just one of the ways that as a church, we are participating with God in setting folks free from poverty, lack of education, loneliness, on and on, both here and around the world. And doing it in Jesus' name so that they can know the God who loved them enough to die for them. Last spring, you'll remember many of you volunteered to be part of Deeper Impact, which is our campaign to walk alongside folks in need or be part of a resource team or an ambassador for Christ. And over the summer, many of you were in training programs to learn how to do that. You know what? If you still want to be part of that, there are Deeper Impact booths. Some of those are Deeper Impact booths out there. And to me, all of this is exciting, that we get to be part of being part of God's rescue plan to this world. You've heard me say this before. Here is a verse you will never hear in the Bible. And behold, it came to pass that God's people were bored. I'm not going to find it. Because we've been called to be co-liberators with Christ. Talked with a man a few months ago who's a successful businessman, but he was very bored. The only point in life, as far as, as far as he could figure, was making more money to buy more things, but every time he bought something, he got bored with it. Go figure. Then Jesus began to nudge him to get free from, the, from that bondage that he was under by helping some other people. So he decided to sponsor a child through Compassion International, a Christian organization that helps children in poverty. And part of sponsoring a child is not just sending money for food, clothing, and education, that too, but also writing letters to the child because Jesus works relationally. So he began to write letters to his sponsored child, and this little girl just got deep in his heart. Turned out she had a tumor on her face, and because of that, her parents felt that she was a burden, and they said that she was a curse that the devil had put on their family. And they even called her that, the curse. So in addition to sponsoring her, he paid to have surgery to have that tumor removed and then continued to write her. And as the years went on, he'd occasionally promised to visit her. Well, when this little girl was 12, he finally went to Kenya to visit her where she lived. And one of the things he did was, along with the chaperone from, from, from Compassion International, he took this little girl to an amusement park in Nairobi. And where this little girl got to ride on a, on a boat for the first time, a roller coaster for the first time, got to go on horseback, eat cotton candy, have a dinner in a restaurant, all for the first time. Stuff she didn't even know existed before that day. And at the end of the day, this man asked her what her favorite part of that day was, and he recounted everything that they'd done. 
And she said, oh, that's easy. And then she pointed to a moment he hadn't even noticed. She said, it was when you took my hand and you, we walked together toward one of the rides. And all my prayers that you would come and visit were answered. This little girl, who had been shamed by her own father, had never been treated by anyone as a daughter, had found a moment of freedom from all that shame and felt loved. And you know what? Unlike a lot of kids in the States, it was that, not the fancy rides or the toys. That's what mattered to her the most. And you see, that was God's original design for that little girl, that she could prosper, that she would be loved, that she would be treasured. And that was God's intention, but the devil and poverty and the brokenness of her parents robbed all of that from her. But Jesus, working through this man, gave it all back, restored her to her original design. And now that little girl has grown up, she's graduated, and she's going to college. She's been set free. But so is that man. Because when that girl said that to him, he got all choked up. He said he felt the Holy Spirit in a way he's never felt the Holy Spirit before. And felt like God was saying to him, this is what you were designed to do. This is what you were made for. So from there he went home and he said to his wife, we're going to sponsor dozens of kids. 30, 40, 50 kids, we're going to sponsor them all. Don't know how she felt about that, but that's how they did. But that's what they did. And now life is not boring for him. Because he is part of God's rescue mission. And he says that seeing the kids... Their lives transformed, way bigger thrill than the biggest deal he ever closed, the most exotic vacation he ever took, the fanciest sports car he ever bought, all rolled up into one. In fact, he sometimes introduces himself by saying, hello, my name is Mark, and I help, set, I help Jesus set kids free. That's how he introduces himself. He has been rescued from obsession with money and the pressure to impress and achieve and all the stress that goes with that. He is free because he obeyed. Obedience brings freedom. So where do you need to be set free? Will you commit to coming these next 10 weeks to church and learning how to stay in God's freedom, but not just coming, doing the things that God nudges you to do as you're sitting there in church and you hear him speaking? Then second, where does God want to use you to set others free? You know what? If you're not already involved in God's rescue mission, and many, many, many of you are, Will you please take some time before you go to your car? I mean, your Lexus isn't going to start anyway. So, you know, go, go out there and wander around those booths. And as you wander around those booths, just ask God, hey, do you want me to be part of any of this? If you do, would you nudge me? Now, some people might say, you know what? I can't be a co-rescuer co with God. I'm too screwed up. No, 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 no. You see, that's the beauty of the message. This kingdom of priests that God is forming is made up of folks who are rescued from slavery. Whether that's actual slavery or poverty or addictions or past mistakes, your mess, your mess, and the ways that God is freeing you from it, that is the beauty of the message that will compel others to Jesus. This kingdom of priests are folks who can say with the psalmist, I'm a mess, but God has heard my cry, and ever so gradually, I am leaving Egypt. The medium is the message. You, his peculiar weird little treasure, and all the ways he is delivering you, not past tense, but present, ongoing, indicative tense, you are the message. The devil is all about bondage, but the God revealed in Jesus is the God who sets the captives free. And he will not stop and he will not rest until the whole world is restored to him. And that includes you and that includes me. It is great to be back with you. I missed you. I love you guys. And I'm looking forward to how Jesus is going to set all of us free this fall. So Jesus, bring it on. That is what we ask, that you would bring your freedom to us and through us.
to this world that you love so much you died for it. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.